Children dismissed to junior church at this time, and I invite you to turn to Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. We're going to be looking at that passage here in just a moment. What a privilege and how awesome it is to worship the Lord. And I just love that song, which actually is based on scripture from Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, where if you look at the passages, the passage, the elders and beasts in Revelation are falling down. It literally means they're casting themselves to the ground. They're casting their crowns before the Lord and crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I think that's our goal in worship. You may not literally have to fall down. Um, some of us may not be able to get up at that point, but to, to metaphorically, minimally be on our knees before the Lord, forgetting about ourselves. Jesus, your name is power, breath and living water. I mean, is that the case for us? We worship the Lord, crying that out. I want you to think with me. I want to invite you to think with me about suffering. What is your view of suffering? How do you reconcile suffering with life? And I know I brought this up the last few weeks, and it'll probably come up again because we're in Philippians, and the apostle Paul is suffering in prison, and he's writing about that, especially here. As we get to Philippians chapter 2 next week, or maybe the week, I think the week after, actually, as we get to Philippians 2, we'll see exhortations to to forget about ourselves, so to speak, and be self-sacrificing, and more exhortations to unity. Philippians 1, Paul is encouraging people to be united, a church united is a powerful witness, by the way. We are aching, we're aching for people to be united and self-sacrificing in our society. Last, on Friday, I listened to an interview from a few weeks back on a podcast through the Colson Center about Tim Keller. Tim Keller uh, died, went home to, uh, to heaven a few weeks ago, but back in uh, 2016 or 17 or so, he was uh, gonna be offered he was going to be the recipient of a, of a called an Abram Kuyper Award at, at, at Princeton Seminary. Abram Kuyper was prime minister of a country about 100 years ago. Very influential, very, very, very influential Christian man. And, and as prime minister, led the country in a strong Christian way. And Timothy Keller was going to be the recipient of this, of this award. But as people found out some of his views about marriage and other things, among them male headship and things like that, they decided to take back the, the offer of the recipient, but they were still going to allow him to speak at the event. So you get to speak, but you don't get the award. And most of us would think, fine, I'm not even going to come. But you know what he did? In great humility, he still went and he spoke. And he was known as a Christian apologist, like a modern-day C.S. Lewis, with that gentle disposition, disposition, that gentle attitude, that loving attitude, being bold and firm in his beliefs, but also winsome and loving with other people, even enemies. You know, we're aching for that right now. We see that in the letter of Philippians. Paul's in prison. He, he, people, are, people are opposing the gospel, and he still has this humble, loving attitude. He encourages people to be united, even when they disagree, to be united. And we see that later on. We see that come up in Philippians 2. We see that come up in Philippians 4. And, 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 and right here, he's still talking about suffering a little bit. How do we reconcile that suffering with the Christian life? 
You know, oysters suffer affliction when they get a grain of sand lodged inside their shells. I guess that's like that little thing, the princess in the pea, is that what it's called? You know, that little thing, it's like a, a stone in your shoe when you're running. I don't know if you've ever been annoyed by a stone in your shoe when you're walking. Well, imagine being this little bitty oyster with a grain of sand lodged inside their shells. No matter what they do, they can't get rid of it. The sand gets lodged, lodged there and it's irritating the oyster. It's a thorn and it, and it drives them crazy to bring comfort to their anguish, they begin to coat the grain of sand over and over and over again. They're coating the grain of sand. Coating the sand doesn't get rid of the grain of sand, but it does comfort them. Over time, the coating of the grain of sand over and over again produces something that costs a lot. It's called a pearl. Do you know what a pearl is? A pearl is the result of an irritated oyster. Out of that came something women place great value on, pearls. But it came out of suffering. The pain resulted in beauty. Their pain resulted in elegance. The pain results in something of high value. When God allows us to suffer, he is producing something precious. We don't always know right away, but he does redeem it. If not now, in all eternity. He's probably redeeming it a thousand ways right now that you don't even know about. Oftentimes, he's using suffering to get our attention, get our children's attention, get our grandchildren's attention. They're watching how we, how we cope and how we live and how we survive. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote that pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. We do not know what God is doing in our suffering. And if you're following the fill in the blanks in the bulletin, that's the first one, suffering. We do not know what God is doing in our suffering, but we do know he is working in us. We, we do know that he is building us up and he's building up those around us. Look at Romans 5 later on and you can see where Paul writes about that. We've been walking through Philippians and this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. During this time, as has been stated and restating, he's, he's writing from a Roman prison. He's shackled to a guard. However, in the previous verses, Paul wrote about how he is, he's ready to go to heaven, but he wants to live for their sake. He also wrote in the previous verse about him coming to them. He wants to come to them again. He's ready to go to heaven, but he wants to live and he wants to live for them. He wants to live for others. It's going to come up again and again. And let me say, if you are one here, and we probably all deal with this from time to time, for sure myself included, and we end up living for stuff, for materialism, we, start, we put things in front of God, in front of the bride of Christ, in front of the word of God. It could be an answer to prayer that God allows or causes hardship to get your attention. To get your attention. My theme today is live in unity. That's a second blank. Live in unity, striving side by side according to the gospel. Live in unity, striving side by side according to the gospel. 
By the way, I have this illustration coming to mind that I think most of you can know about. If you've seen a baby and you've had babies or grandchildren or you've been around them and you've seen them laying on their back in their first few months of life and or maybe even laying in their tummy and they have to learn to turn over on their own, don't they? And I don't know about your kids or grandkids, but my daughters did not like that. They would scream and scream and scream until they build up the strength and learn to turn themselves over. To the baby, from their point of view, they got to be suffering. They have got to be thinking, why is this mother not turning me over? Why is this mother not helping me? But they have to go through that to build up the muscles and learn how to turn themselves over. And they have to learn that so they can learn how to crawl. And they have to learn to crawl so they can learn to walk. And that all comes with, with, with many obstacles and many hardships, falling down and all types of things. And I'm told that if they learn to walk without learning to crawl, there are developmental issues associated with that. And from the child's point of view, that's got to be difficult. I don't remember what it was like, but it's got to be difficult. I just remember watching my daughters, especially my oldest one, who's very strong-willed and outspoken, screaming, wanting us to help her. But she had to go through that to, to build up those muscles. And so we are the child, and God is the ultimate parent. And many times he causes or allows those hardships because he knows the greater goal. He knows how he's strengthening us. He knows what he's doing. So right here, we see live in unity, striving side by side according to the gospel. Live in unity, striving side by side according to the gospel. And the the first point is strive side by side for the gospel. Look at Philippians 1.27. If you're following the blanks, there's another one in this verse. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice that live in unity, striving side by side. We're together. We're linked. Our arms are linked for the sake of the gospel. You think of military terminology and uh, you think of this Roman day and age, Paul's writing in a Roman day and age with Imperial Guard right next to him. I know a lot about the Imperial Guard because I watched the great movie Gladiator last week and um, not serious, that's just a movie, okay. But they link their shields together. They would link their shields together side by side. And that is real. They really did that back then. They would link their shields together side by side. And it was part of a military strategy. And I wonder if sometimes when, G, when, when Paul writes about serving side by side, he has this image of linking shields together, being linked together side by side. And the point is, they are stronger together in the military way and we are stronger together as a Christian. And we can live in unity and we can be linked side by side, supporting one another. We are together in this. We are together. In the Greek, Philippians 1 verses 27 through 30 are one sentence. This is one long sentence. All these verses, 27, 28, 29, 30, all one sentence. He's urging them to let their behavior be worthy of the gospel. Look at it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he gives a purpose so that whether I come and see you whether I'm absent, I hear good things. Let their behavior be worthy of the gospel. 
Paul gives a purpose, and that is that he can hear this about them. It's likely not about him hearing about them in heaven. Remember, he just talked about going to heaven. It's likely he may not be referring about going to heaven and hearing about them, but that he hears about them from a distance. They had messages going back and forth. They had things like that. He wants to hear positive things, right? You send your kids away to college. Maybe they're four hours away. Maybe they're six hours away. Maybe they're eight hours away. And, and, and you want to hear positive things, right? You don't want, say that you know some of the professors there or the faculty. You don't want it coming to you by an email. You know what? I saw your daughter. At day. No, he wants to hear good things about them, positive things, gospel-centered things about them. So he has just written about coming to see them again. And now he begins with only, which is a Greek word monos, which means alone or only. He's saying this is very important. This is very important. Uh, first importance to let your manner of life reflect the gospel. That applies to all of us. Is our manner of life reflecting the gospel? The conversation we had yesterday or the day before, somebody might have got our best. In an argument, maybe our spouse or our children were hardest on those we love the most or we feel free the most. Is our manner of life reflecting the gospel? What is behavior worthy of the gospel? One would think it's what follows in verses 28 through 30, but I also think it's the unity and the joy and the thankfulness in the rest of this short letter. Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Consider others more important than yourselves. That's a mindset. And then look out for the needs of others before your own. Philippians 4, 1 and 2, about two people, Yudi as one of them, uh, agreeing with one another. Behavior worthy of the gospel. Self-sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things. That means that love gives each other the benefit of the doubt. Let me ask you this. We are in a day and age in which we are always suspicious of other people. And we are especially suspicious of institutions, the church, denominations, nursing homes, hospitals, retirement communities, eye doctors, <laughs> pool stores, host, uh, the government for sure, right? We are always suspicious. It's called postmodernism. That's the day and age we call it. If it was 150 years ago, what happened? You always took, back then you always believed the police officer over the criminal. You always believed the teacher over the student. You always believed the institution then. Now it's flipped. It doesn't mean the police officer is always right or the teacher is always right or the pastor is always right, but it means today we are naturally inclined, if you hear about something, to be suspicious. And I would submit to you that that's not the right attitude to have with anyone. Love believes all things. That means it gives each other the benefit of the doubt. We try to see it from their perspective. And I hear it time and time again. We're always critical of the younger generation. I hear it from all generations. I was talking to another pastor a few weeks ago. He's retired. He said entitlements always existed. I hear it from all generations how we are naturally inclined to believe not just that the behavior was wrong, but the motivation was wrong. We don't know somebody's motivation. We don't know what they're going through. Let's I think behavior, a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ is try to pursue unity. Try to pursue unity. Try to think about things from the other person's perspective. Try to love one another. Try to have that mindset. And we're aching for that today.
Notice what he writes. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Philippians lived in a free Roman city, a free Roman city, and thus understood from their own experience what it meant to live as citizens. They knew what it meant to be, a, to be citizens of Rome. That was a big deal to be a citizen of Rome. If you were a citizen of Rome, you could not be uh, crucified. That, that was only for non-citizens. It was a big deal. Paul, in the book of Acts, would appeal to his citizenship a couple times. It was a big deal. The Philippians knew what that was like. So Paul is here picking up on that motif and elevating it to the citizenship of heaven. If you are a Christian, you are a citizen of heaven. Isn't that amazing? We are citizens of heaven. We're citizens, we are citizens of the new heaven and new earth. We are citizens of the new Jerusalem. That is amazing. He says, standing firm side by side, Paul wants them to agree as much as possible. This is a letter about joy. It's a letter about unity. Part of conduct worthy of the gospel is about that. Christianity is about living, as, living on a team with other Christians. We are a team. A team can't win the game if they're always opposed to one another. A team can't win the game if they go in the locker room and there's infighting and things like that. That will, that will come out on the field. He says with one spirit, this could be, the, be one Holy Spirit who unites us, but it's hard to tell in the Greek if it is the Holy Spirit or not. However, Philippians chapter two, verse one seems to be about the Holy Spirit. Paul says striving. Striving is an offensive term. It's an offensive term. Paul wants to hear that they are striving side by side. Striving together is a compound word in the Greek. It's similar to where we get our English word athletics. Isn't that interesting? Paul is using athletic terminology right here. The gospel is mentioned for the sixth time in this first chapter of Philippians. They really cared about the gospel. Are, are, are we striving side by side for the gospel? Are we standing firm? Are we making sure that our conduct is worthy of the gospel? Are we united in one spirit and one mind? I think that's one way our sin nature, the devil, it attacks us, is trying to divide the church. Don't be frightened by your opponents. Look at verse 28. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So strive side by side in unity and don't be frightened by your opponents. The word frightened or some translations say alarmed could describe spooking a horse. This is a clear sign of their destruction, your salvation. What is the sign? Maybe not being frightened by them. We don't need to be frightened by our opponents. Maybe standing strong in the faith. When we stand strong in the faith in, in the midst of, adver in, uh, of opponents or an adversary, it, it's a clear sign of our, of, our, of our trust in the gospel. Maybe when we stay united in the midst of opposition, it's a clear sign of our salvation and our opponent's destruction. So when they stand strong for the gospel, it's a sign 
uh, their opponent's destruction, their salvation. John MacArthur writes, when believers willingly suffer without being alarmed, it is a sign that God's enemies will be destroyed and eternally lost. Look, as Christians, we are aliens in this world. James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity with God, makes us enemies with God. Malcolm Muggridge Muggridge died in the fall of 1990. He had been a foreign correspondent, newspaper editor, editor of Punch Magazine, and a well-known television personality in Great Britain. As an adult, he finally turned to Christ, and he wrote of his own dilemmas as a journalist turned believer. Among his works are Jesus Rediscovered, Christ and the Media, Something Beautiful for God, and his multi-volume autobiography, Chronicles of a Wasted Life. He frequently spoke and wrote a feeling like a stranger in the world. In an interview a few years before his death, Mugridge was asked if he would be willing to explain that feeling, explain what he meant by feeling like a stranger. His answer is worth repeating. He said, I'd be very glad to do so, because I thought... Because I've thought about it often. In the war, when I was in North Africa, I heard some lieutenant colonel first use the phrase, displaced person. The phrase was very poignant to me. But it's also a very good definition of a person who's come to see that life is not about carnal things or success. But it's about eternity rather than time. He says, I don't really belong here. I'm simply staying here. We are displaced persons as Christians. We don't really belong here in this fallen world. We are just staying here. It's true for us. In verses 29 through 30, Paul gives a reminder. Look at it. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. He's saying it's been granted to us that we get to believe in Christ, but not alone that. We also get to suffer for Christ. We as Christians have a privilege of suffering for Christ. You can see Acts 5.41, that people left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for Christ. Some of the suffering is persecution for Christ. Some of it is just suffering that God's using as a witness. He's using as a testimony. He's using it to make us not depend on material things, but on him. He's using it to remind us that, that, that we need him. Belief is a gift from God, Acts 3.16 And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This healing was a faith, was a belief that was a gift from God. Acts 11.18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, get this, God has granted 
Repentance that leads to life. Belief is a gift from God. John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And we are praying about being a gospel witness. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit's leading, the Holy Spirit leading you, the Holy Spirit transforming their heart because no one can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior except by the Holy Spirit convicting them they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Secondly, That belief is a gift from God. That was in the verses Paul wrote. And now he says, we are also granted to suffer for Christ. Look at Matthew 5, 10 through 11. Blessed, this is Jesus speaking, the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus is saying when we go through that persecution, we go through that reviling, we have a blessing. We see that in Revelation 6, 9 through 11. The saints who were martyred during the tribulation period were blessed. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. 1 and 2 Peter is written to a church really suffering, really going through persecution. 1 Peter 4. 12 and 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Stop there. He's saying when you have that fiery trial, don't think it's something strange happening to you. Don't be surprised. And this applies to us too. Don't be surprised. He says, but rejoice, rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's a blessing there. In verse 30, he shares, they are in the same conflict as they observed in the apostle Paul. And now Paul is still in it. So it seems as though we know Paul is being persecuted. Paul's in jail. Paul's in prison. But they are also in the same conflict. And he's exhorting them. He's encouraging them that they have a privilege of suffering for Christ. Chuck Swindoll shares, in the early days of Christianity, a scoffer once inquired, what's your carpenter doing now? And the answer of the unperturbed Christian was bold. Making a coffin for your emperor. Let's do some review and applications. Are we striving side by side for the gospel? I know that's the one I parked on the most. Are we striving? Is that that even our attitude? Not just our actions, but our attitude. And we question things. Can we give each other the benefit of the doubt? Are we standing firm? Are we standing firm for the gospel? Are we making sure that our conduct is worthy of the gospel? Are we united in one spirit and one mind? There is a lot in these few verses, isn't there? We must not be frightened by those who oppose the gospel. Instead, we must stay united and serve one another. We must stay strong in the faith. Are we living consistent with our beliefs? If not, do we really believe them. There's a guy, he's on Moody Radio in the mornings throughout the week, and I listen to him on Open Line, Dr. Michael Radonik. He's on Saturdays from 10 to noon. I would highly commend uh, his, his, his radio show to you. He's a professor there, and he answers uh, Bible questions a lot, but he teaches Jewish studies and Bible. He was raised a Messianic Jew, 
He was raised an Orthodox, well, actually he was raised an Orthodox Jew, and then he became a Christian. His dad denied him. His dad wouldn't even see him later, so he faced that persecution when he became a Christian. Uh, His dad moved to Israel. Michael went to see his dad. He wouldn't even see him. But his mom became a Christian before the Holocaust. And his mom, though, was Jewish, and she went, and she was in a concentration camp in Auschwitz. His dad was also in Auschwitz. His dad's first wife and children died at Auschwitz. And Michael's been asked, Dr. Michael Radelnik's been asked, how, 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 did, how did your mom and dad react after the Holocaust? Well, his dad was very bitter. He blamed Christians. He blamed the Holocaust on Christians. I can't imagine how you get over that. But his mom, who was a Christian, his mom recognized that people that harmed them were blinded by the devil and by evil and by sin. And she was able to forgive. And because of that, she was graceful all her days, even though she went blind at a very young age because the Nazis wanted to experiment on what happens if you take out your tear ducts. So they took out her tear ducts. But she gave, she recognized with a biblical worldview, a full scope biblical view. And I don't know how anyone does this except for the Holy Spirit within them. She recognized they were blinded and she was able to forgive. That's what grace does. That's what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And we're bitter and hard if we can't do that. Do we fear what non-believers think? Or do we have a confidence in the gospel? We see that in verse 28. Do we allow unnecessary division? Or do we seek unity in verse 27? I sit on uh, sometimes ministry team meetings and committee meetings or ad hoc meetings with some of you. And I know some of you are just great at trying to see the good in things, trying to be optimistic, trying to see unity. And that's a great gift. And we need more of it. We need more of it. Are we contributing members of the local church? That's addressed in this passage. These people were partners in the gospel. Do we live in community? Do we have friends who will challenge and encourage us? Are we vulnerable with each other? Listen, as Christians, we all need close Christian friends, prayer partners, accountability partners who can give us the hard truth. We need that. Do we recognize that we can't do this on our own? We need grace. We need the gospel. We need the Spirit's help. We need each other. Do we have to always be in charge, always be right, Do we divide over silly matters? These are just application questions. I would encourage you, sit on them, pray about them, think about them. Do we divide over silly matters? Are we a contentious person or a contentious personality? Are we always causing arguments? Are we a unifier or a divider? Are we prepared to suffer for Jesus? I think oftentimes we think making a stand for Christ is going to come in something very obvious, very acute, very overt, very blunt, a gun to your head or a knife or something like that. Or, but I think oftentimes it doesn't start that way. It starts making a stand for Christ in ethical issues. When there's a conflict between priorities, making a stand for Christ. And if we can't stand for Christ in the priorities of integrity or of ethics or of commitment to the church or commitment to the word of God, when, when it really comes to, you know, comes to fruition, then we're not gonna be able to stand for Christ in something more challenging. How do we prepare to suffer for him? How do we prepare for that? Pray about it. 
Pray that we can be like those in Acts 5.41 who rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Pray that God makes us bold and loving witnesses. Study the Bible about what the scripture says about suffering. Read testimonies of those who suffered for Christ. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs or uh, From the Voice of the Martyrs. They give you things to pray for every day for the persecuted church. Pray Spend time with the Lord about that. The reason a woman can endure the pain of childbirth is because something good is coming on the other side, right? I was visiting somebody in the hospital recently. She said, I got all this pain from this surgery and I don't even have a baby to take home. A woman can suffer the pains of childbirth knowing something good is going to be celebrated on the other side, the new birth of a child. She bears the suffering because of the joy before her. It is in weakness that God does his greatest birthing. We cannot see things from God's point of view, but he is at work. He is doing things. And he is working even in our suffering. But first and foremost, we need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want to ask you a personal question right now. I haven't asked this this, um, bluntly in a few weeks or a few months. If you were to die tonight and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? As Christians, we can be confident in our salvation We can be confident that we know him as Lord and Savior, but we have to repent. We have to confess that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oftentimes we argue and disagree and debate different theological truths with people who are non-believers, but one thing it comes down to in Christianity is what do we do with our sin? No other religious worldview has the idea of grace, that God took our sins on the cross, but he did. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took your sin and my sins and the world's sins upon himself. He took the wrath of God in our place. We can't pay for our own sins except for a life in eternity of hell. Because we've sinned. Jesus came, God in the flesh, lived a fully human, fully God life, and died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And we need to confess we are a sinner in need of a Savior. We must believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. We must trust in him and commit to him. If you haven't done that, confess, believe, trust, commit. I encourage you to do that today. And be prepared. It'll change your life. Jesus will change your life. He'll change it. He'll give you a fullness. He'll give you a complete life. He'll give you abundant life. The Christian life is not just about eternity. If it's only about eternity to you and you've been a Christian, you may not really be saved because it's not only fire insurance. It's not a get out of hell free card. It's Jesus, it's making Jesus Lord of your life now that you die to self and you live for him. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said, anyone can come after me, 
but he or she must deny his or herself. That means I must say, Steve, who's he? It doesn't matter what Steve thinks. It matters what Jesus thinks with every single decision, with money, with possessions. They all belong to God. I must think what Jesus thinks. I must deny myself. That's what Jesus says. Deny yourself Take up your cross. What was the cross? It was an instrument of death. Jesus said, anyone can come after him, but you must deny yourself, take up that cross and follow him. When we commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is a lifetime commitment that begins now and goes through all eternity. And is fullness of life and complete life and abundant life, even though at the same time, it's a life of self-sacrifice. It's a life for Jesus. It's a life for his ways. It's organizing our affairs, our life around him. Confess, believe, trust, commit. I encourage you today, if you've not done that, today, confess you're a sinner in need of a savior. Believe in Jesus as the one and only savior. Trust in him and commit to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these examples we see in the apostle Paul and in the church at Philippi, which we can correlate through the rest of the New Testament the book of Hebrews, when people were suffering and even being in, thrown in prison for their faith. Revelation chapters two and three, where there was so much persecution on the seven churches in Revelation. Lord God, we see these examples. They challenge us, they encourage us, they exhort us to live for you. But we also see this challenge to live united, to live, to live uh, not focused on ourselves, but focused on other people, to live at peace with one another, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to to live for you. Help us, Lord God, because we can't do this on our own. And Lord God, I know for the Christians gathered here, the Holy Spirit is within them. They can walk in faith and trust in you. Lord God, if there's people here right now who do not know you as Lord and Savior, I ask, Lord God, the Holy Spirit, convict them today. Convict them today, right now. We're never promised tomorrow. Right now, convict them to commit to you, confessing they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believing that you are the one and only Savior, trusting in you and committing to you, and telling you, telling you that in a simple prayer, knowing they're not saved by the prayer, they're saved by what's in their heart, but telling them in a simple prayer, such as this, Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, Lord, I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, I'm committing my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. If you said that prayer, please share with someone today. You know that God wants a relationship with you. Angels in heaven rejoice over every sinner that repents. He wants a relationship with you. And as I always say, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I would love to talk to you. Even if you're just inquiring, even if you're opposed to Christianity, but, but you want to make sure you understand it better, reach out to me. I'd love to sit down with you and, and buy you lunch or breakfast or dinner or meet here, whatever. Meet at your house and talk about the Christian faith. As we go to this closing song, the altars are still up here, even though it's all decorated for VBS, they're still here. And we'd love for you to come, to get, come forward and pray. And we'd love to pray with you about anything you're going through.